0: If you know anything about the Westboro Baptist Church, you'll know to expect very offensive and painful language around just about anything, but particularly around the gay community, of which I am a flaming part, and also around soldiers who've died in combat. And if you have a background with religious abuse, I'd also be cautious with this one. Here's the show. On this podcast, we explore fantastical thinking, moral panics, conspiracy theories, and urban legends, examine the forces that shape our culture, and tell the stories that create the realities we share, and sometimes the realities we don't. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American
1: Hysteria. The Phelps Group pickets military funerals with signs reading things like, Pray for more dead soldiers and God hates fag enablers.
0: We're happy when the world hates us.
2: It's that kissy-poo preaching that's sending this country to hell in a faggot's handbasket.
3: Live from Las Vegas at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, it's the Howard Stern
4: Show. I'm on the set of Freaky Family Feud. This is going to be an interesting competition. You've heard them all week. They're very controversial. They're wearing their GodHatesFags.com t-shirts. Which are not available in the gift shop. (laughs) Let me talk to you, Megan. You're the daughter. How old are you, Megan?
0: I am. 18 years
4: old. Megan is 18 years old. And Megan, you believe this as well?
0: Yeah, I believe that God hates fags. And see, I was gonna ask you, can you read because it says God hates fags, not I hate fags. We are preaching the message of the Bible, which is that you cannot live like the devil himself and expect to go to heaven when you die.
4: On the other side is some real gay people. Let's say hello to Moon, Buck, Edward, and Jelayla. Megan, do you find this offensive to see Buck this close?
1: back devil spawn i thought you loved the gays i'm telling you we we love them according to the bible sense of love which means we tell them the truth that you you hate your neighbor in your heart if you don't
0: tell them the truth and the truth is you're going to hell if you don't stop living that filthy lifestyle Uh,
4: what do you think of that buck what do you say to her
1: well i just feel pretty
4: (laughs) all right he feels pretty let's play the feud
0: as you can tell this is going to be a strange episode. So, to start, let's meet the family. Our scene today opens with the spirited smile and the flashing eyes, the uncommonly long, graying hair of Shirley Phelps Roper, the boisterous mouthpiece of the church, but also a mother to 11 children. As she calls the girls in to help, she puts on Fleetwood Mac's self-titled album, and they dance and sing together as they make dinner for the family. Outside, the light is dimming, gold on the well-kept lawn, the center of their suburban compound made up of a block of members' homes, where the group of 70... Mostly, the Phelps family can have parties and cookouts, jump on the trampoline or swim in the pool, play sports or exercise, or work on their dance routines with their many, many cousins. After they've eaten dinner and cleaned up, Shirley's oldest daughter, Megan, finds a rare idle moment to lie down in her bed, her many chores and hours of homework and Bible study finally finished. She's reading the newest, terrifying Stephen King novel. Grace thinks about her outfit for tomorrow, keeping it hip, but making sure to follow the one fashion rule Shirley had, cover the three Bs, butt, belly, and back. In the morning, they'll go together to their public school, where they excel in all their courses, joke with their peers, walk beside them in the halls. But when they're dismissed for lunch, they will stride headstrong across the street, meeting up with the rest of the family, who hands them signs that say, among a slew of other impossibly incensing phrases, God hates fags and God loves dead troops. They rant, they rave, they chant, they sing about the wrath of God, all while eating their Lunchables. Then they return to class promptly as soon as they hear the bell. That night, the clan will work together on a new parody pop song, one of hundreds still available on their website godhatesfags.com, rewriting the lyrics to reflect the warning message about God's hatred and everyone's future in hell. With Fleetwood Mac on the mind, they might get giddy over some good rhymes and clever lyrics like, Well, you don't think of changing, cause you built your life around sin. Your sin's getting bolder, God's killing your soldiers. Hope's getting colder, too. Yes, hope's getting colder, too. But even though they have good taste in classic rock— the group also needs to keep the message fresh and relevant, like they did in the following cover of a Lady Gaga song.
1: want you all will be.
0: coming years, dozens of Phelps family members, along with the paltry handful of dedicated outsiders accepted into their exclusive fold, will spend several days a week picketing anything and everything they felt was ungodly, which was essentially everything. But slowly, their tactics would grow even more extreme. They would take planes all over the country, head to the latest tragic event, maybe a soldier's funeral, the funeral of an AIDS victim or of a beloved celebrity, the memorial of 9-11, the scene of a school shooting or a natural disaster, literally celebrating death after death after death. And then more plane rides for Shirley, Megan, Grace, or the others to L.A. or New York to the media event of the day that they say will allow them to spread their message that God hates everyone except, well, the Westboro Baptist Church. It could be the Howard Stern Show or Jenny Jones or Ricky Lake or just a quick segment on the unlucky town's local news. Their message is this. God is punishing America for accepting homosexuality by making us lose wars, by killing our troops and our kids, by sending natural disasters that kill and displace hundreds. And they believe that God enjoys it. And if it's God's will, then the WBC is fully on board and excited for any and every kind of tragedy. In a way, they were like little terrible Forrest Gumps appearing in the background of so many news stories over the last 30 years. The Matthew Shepard tragedy, the 9-11 memorial, Steve Jobs and Michael Jackson's funerals, memorials for the victims of the Boston Marathon bombings and the Orlando nightclub shooting, and at the scene of most every natural disaster— They were parodied in movies like But I'm a Cheerleader and Kevin Smith's Red State and on shows like Saturday Night Live and True Blood, where the phrase God hates fangs is used in the opening credits. And of course, they were bestowed the mid-2000s honor of a brief portrayal on South Park. As much as we hated them, it seemed we couldn't get enough of them. Though we don't often think of them this way, the Westboro Baptist Church were pop culture icons. And as a well-educated family full of lawyers with their own law firm, they knew how to safely taper their work under the banner of that good old First Amendment. The members of the Westboro Baptist Church are like the mean girls of the Kingdom of Christ, and their burn book is long. Snarky, quippy, and always petty, no one can escape their acidic, sadistic, adolescent bullying. The Pope is a lying whore. Mickey is a fag pimp. The city councilwoman is a Jezebelian, switch-hitting whore. The DA is a fork-tongued she-devil, a dirt-dumb, butt-ugly, demon-possessed vixen. Mr. Rogers is a sissy-pied-piper from hell. According to their current signs, available for printout online, here is a short list of things that are fags the Marines, Santa, the court, the flag, Catholics, Mormons, Jews, of course, Halloween, the media, the Oscars, school in general, the NBA, and America. Here are things for which the signs thank God. 9-11, an Ebola outbreak, dead shoppers, crashing markets, IEDs, and breast cancer. Because when it comes to the Westboro Baptist Church, the enemy is everyone else on Earth. Anyone can be a fag. To get a general sense of Westboro's vibe, we can look at yet another pop honor bestowed upon them when their websites were hacked by the mysterious celebrity hacker group known as Anonymous, famous in the 2010s for their cyber attacks on government institutions and agencies, corporations, the Church of Scientology, the KKK, and ISIS. Shirley claimed the group had threatened to attack their websites, which they denied. But nonetheless, the church sent out this press release on official Westboro letterhead. It read, Open letter from the Westboro Baptist servants of God to anonymous crybaby hackers. Bring it. A puddle of pimple-faced nerds organized under the cowardly banner of anonymous Claim that they plan to hack Westboro's websites. They mistakenly suppose because of pseudo-success with ruined and doomed U.S. government or financial websites that they can take on the servants of the living God. Bad miscalculation, girls. Anonymous is warring with God. Very stupid for little boys claiming to be so smart. Foppish hackers, like all humans, must obey God. Obey or perish. Well, they weren't going to leave that alone. And so Anonymous did hack several of their sites live as Shirley spoke with a representative on a YouTube show. That pwn, of course,
1: went viral.
2: Shirley, is it your belief that Anonymous cannot harm the Westboro websites in any way?
1: Okay. Now you need to listen to this answer carefully. Take notes. Okay. No one, no source, no power can shut these words that are, as the scripture says, roaring out of Mount Zion. I mean, I'm talking to a little guy who's a Jew. You know that when the prophets go, the prophet go time is doomed America's Low
2: okay, so, but then Anonymous, can you address that? I mean, aren't all of Shirley's websites down right now?
1: <sighs> yeah, right now. Um, Godhatesfags.com is down. Your pastor is a is down. Uh, Westboro Baptist Church.com is down. America okay, is wait a com is down. The Westboro signs didn't stay long
4: as a fiery crowd burst. Less than 10 minutes after arriving, the Kansas church was gone, throwing whatever they could inside vans as police fought to keep everyone in check.
0: Unparalleled maestros of outrage, they did the miraculous. They disgusted both sides of the political spectrum equally. They stomped joyously on the rainbow flag and then on the American flag. Westboro calls them the two idols of our idolatrous culture. Their pickets are rare phenomena where you see huge lifted trucks with enormous flapping flags burning out in front of the picketers, billowing tire smoke with wild whoops of patriotic triumph right beside, drag queens throwing out glitter bombs and roller skating in the street, gays doing kiss-ins, making out performatively. For once, All of that ire is directed into one place as the church sings their newest pop song about God-hating fag America, as they cheer and even pray for more dead soldiers, more dead gay people, as they celebrate the eternal torture of every single one of them, all while saying that this is the ultimate act of love. They were America's cartoonish supervillains, uncomplicated in their evil, easy to hate no matter who you were. Because who could ever side with them? They made it impossible. And that was kind of the point. The most famous figures of the Christian and political right often held them up as an example of the bad kind of Christians, the hateful kind. And that was fine by them because they'd end up picketing Jerry Falwell's funeral too. <laughs> we're happy when the world hates us because yeah. the Bible says that there's how they're supposed to treat them. Jesus Christ says they hated me, they're gonna hate you. That's exactly what that's exactly how it happen if you're actually serving God. And it's a testament that we're doing what's right and that everybody else is not. And and they're going they hate God, God, and they're God going hates- See in their own home. The members of this church believe that they alone are doing the right thing by the Lord and by their neighbors because they are telling the truth of the Bible. They are laying it out bare and brutal. They believe this to be the act of ultimate love. Really, the only act of love there is. As incomprehensible as it is to us... These people have believed that they alone are doing the right thing by the Lord and by their neighbors, and that all of this is an act of ultimate love. In fact, everything they do, they do for the love of God, which includes excommunicating members they believe fall short of the standards of the only one true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes their own siblings, sometimes their own children, who they never speak to again. The parents of the church have been described as loving, attentive, and respectful, as well as extremely mentally and physically abusive at the slightest provocation. And this generational trauma has been handed down again and again. But at the epicenter of everything, is a man known affectionately as Gramps, who struck me most of all as a sort of haunted scarecrow come to life. He's also been described by the family as both soft and loving and terrifyingly violent and cruel. A man, it seems, who made himself in the image of the very abusive god he followed, loving only those who followed his word perfectly, only loving his elect.
1: On today's show, you'll meet a man who wants to wipe out the entire homosexual community and believes that gays are worthy of death. He's on a crusade against gays.
2: I'm a Bible preacher. Remember, 46 years. I'm well I aware. use Bible words and I cite you Amos 411. I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a faggot plucked from the burning. Same thing in Zechariah 3.2. It is an elegant metaphor that describes these creatures the way God intended them to be elegant described. Elegant
1: metaphor. Anybody want to comment on
0: that? <laughs> yeah, stand up. But, as is often the case, it wasn't always this way. More after this. plus 20% off your next
1: box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And now, back to the show.
0: Fred Waldron Phelps was born in 1929. His father worked for the Southern Railroad as a policeman And when he was just five years old, his beloved mother died from throat cancer. Fred would come under temporary care of his great-aunt and was clearly bewildered by the loss of his mother. Aside from this period, classmates and neighbors who knew the family said that there was nothing that marked his childhood as particularly bad, whatever that means, and that as a whole, they were well-regarded in the community. The same folk spoke highly of Fred, saying that he excelled at everything he did. He dressed neatly, wore his hair in a crew cut, and never went out with a single girl in high school. He was uncommonly smart, serious, and dedicated. He was a first-rank Eagle Scout, a track star on the High Hurdle, a bass horn player in the band, a reporter for the high school newspaper, and a member of the high school fraternity, Phi Kappa. He was also the president of the Young People's Department of the Central United Methodist Church, with the American Legion officially recognizing his superior courage, leadership, scholarship, and service. He won more honors for his leadership during his time as a member of the Mississippi Junior State Guard. He was also a literal boxing champion, winning state two years in a row, with the local newspaper writing fondly about their prediction that he would soon be knocking men out at Madison Square Garden. Fred was a teenage, golden gloves boxer. But all that aside, he had a singular vision. He knew what he was going to do with his life. His future was bright and set. He had secured a place at the West Point Military Academy, which had also always been his father's dream for him. He graduated with honors in nineteen forty six and gave a spirited speech to his fellow teens about President Franklin D. Roosevelt's four freedoms freedom of worship, freedom from want freedom from fear, and the one that would become his very favorite, freedom of speech. There was little doubt that Fred would be a massive success in whatever field he chose, but no one saw his werewolfish transformation coming. No one could have known where that tireless, voracious, laser-focused energy would finally land. That summer, after graduation, Fred was just 16, and he and his best friend John were living it up as much as Fred could live it up, going to the movies together and participating in Methodist church activities, maybe in my imagination tentatively holding hands once. One sunny day, the two young chums found themselves walking into a flamboyant, fiery tent revival with an old school preacher who held no punches. Whatever that preacher said, whatever the exact magic moment was, is hard to tell from Fred's vague descriptions. But regardless, this was the moment that changed everything. A bright, thunderous crack down the center of his life. Fred showed the same vim and vigor he always had, and, much to his father's disappointment, would be an ordained Baptist minister by the very next year. Along with John, who had also had his own spiritual awakening, they started off their crusade by heading out to take on a Mormon college in Utah where Fred's rage began to show as he tried to fistfight a student who asked a question about the scripture. After transferring from Bob Jones University to John Muir College, he soon became the most annoying man on campus, walking up to groups of students eating lunch to yell in protest about Sins committed by students and teachers, promiscuous petting, evil language, profanity, cheating, teachers' filthy jokes in classrooms, and panderings to the lusts of the flesh. He was told by the principal to leave campus if he could not stop harassing students. And so, in a style he would mimic all his life, he walked across that public street held up his signs, and just yelled louder. His family watched as he suddenly became a raving fanatic, an actual street preacher who would soon cut off all contact with the life he had known. But this raving fanatic was still Fred Phelps, still meticulous and organized and determined to a terrifying degree. God is God is God Counter-protesters is to the WBC often call forth an image of an all-loving God, a God who doesn't hate anyone. But to Fred Phelps, that is the biggest lie ever told. And It does ignore a lot of the really fucked up shit that happens in the Bible, that God does in the Bible, just as Westboro tends to ignore some of the more loving aspects. The religion that Fred Phelps took on is not unlike that of the first colonists in America. The stern, severe Puritans who sailed the ocean blue pretty much because they wanted to get away from the declining morality of England, where people were, to put it crudely, too gay and too generally loose with their Christian morals. The Puritans were Calvinists, those who followed the writings of theologian John Calvin, who during the Protestant Reformation challenged the corrupted power of the Catholic Church. He claimed that no man can decide, as the priests claim they could, who was part of the elect and who was part of the damned. Calvinists believe that God is so all-powerful, so completely in control, that he already knows the entire worldly plot every single micro moment. Everything was predetermined even before Adam and Eve appeared in the Garden of Eden. Add on to that the concept of predestination, the assurance that God has already decided who's going to heaven and who is not, and there's nothing, nothing, anyone can do about that decision. It was all up to the ancient whims of the Lord.
3: According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of
0: It's a strange doctrine. One that logically would lead a person to do whatever the fuck they want since behavior essentially does not matter. But here's the catch. Expressions of piety and submission to God and his demands are seen as evidence of election meaning the more dedicated the person is to the direct demands of God, the more likely it is that they are one of the elect because they are acting like it. They're faking it till they make it. But still, lest anyone ever rest, no human can truly be confident that they are chosen. No human should be confident, lest they challenge the all-knowing authority of their fearful master. In Megan Phelps Roper's memoir, Unfollow, she talks about her mother relaying a particular story in the Bible. It's told by Paul in Romans 9, the story of fraternal twins Jacob and Esau, the former, Jacob, chosen by God to continue in the holy line, and the latter, Esau, damned to hell. God did this, quote, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Megan asks her mom why God would do something like that. Shirley answers this important inquiry by asking Megan and Grace to look down at their Barbies and imagine how funny it would be if the dolls suddenly addressed them, asking them why they chose to dress them the way they did. She laughed and laughed, and it became a running bit for the always zany Shirley Phelps roper. So this god sucks so far, right? Well, not to Calvinists because, they believe, humans are depraved, evil at birth, undeserving of any love at all. The fact that God would save those few whom he'd chosen was proof that he was loving and merciful and good, because the fact that he would save anyone at all is an extension of some kind of ultimate perfect grace and mercy. And what about the non-elect? Well, see, it's not that God actively damns them exactly. It's just that he sort of doesn't intervene to save them. He just sort of lets them fall into the lake of hell. But for hyper-Calvinists like Westboro, God created people specifically so he could also torture and damn them for their sins. As is said in Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. The WBC believes that God gets legit, crazy enjoyment from the destruction of sinners, from the creation of natural disasters, and all kinds of other tragedies. And that everything that happens is according to the pleasure of his will. And so, they too must celebrate it. They, too, must laugh in our hell-bound faces. As it says in Proverbs,
3: Because you neglected all my counsel and wanted none of my correction, in turn I will mock your calamity. I will sneer when terror strikes you, when your dread comes like a storm and your destruction like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish overwhelm you.
0: So, when it comes to the Westboro's philosophy, we're obviously dealing with a hateful god. But here is the most important thing to understand about the philosophy of Westboro. This is not to say that the group does not harbor true hatred in their own hearts for gay people and the other groups and individuals that they picket. But that's not the way that they explain it. They consider human hatred to be impious, which is why they will never, ever say that they hate anyone. It's a sin to harbor personal hatred. Hating people is God's job. The church's job, then, is to simply tell the sinners the truth of God's hatred, and do so without what Fred Phelps calls the biggest lie ever told— that God loves everyone.
1: Don't you have any compassion for the family members that are grieving?
2: A lot of compassion, and I want them to go to heaven. And somebody's got to tell them they're not going to heaven if they keep living that filthy lifestyle. And there's a verse that applies on some have compassion, making a difference. Others say by terrifying them, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It's that kissy-poo preaching that's sending this country to hell in a faggot's handbasket.
1: But the
0: WBC is not looking for new members. Virtually no one lives up to their standards, and very few are admitted into their folds. Seeing as they believe themselves to be the one true church following the word of God, They're not exactly trying to change hearts. They're mostly out there saying, Don't say we didn't warn you. And then, at hundreds of funerals, I told you so. And there you go. With all this bullshit backing him up, Fred took the liberty to become an absolute fucking insufferable asshole. But first, he would do some good. More after this.
1: Friends, hello. I'm Mike Rugnetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the Internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the Internet and the world because of the Internet is the way it is. How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And now back to the show. By May 1954, Fred was married to a woman named Margie and had just taken a job as a pastor of a new church opening in Topeka, Kansas. They arrived right in the middle of one of the most momentous events in American history, the decision of Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka to desegregate the first public school district. After graduating law school in 1964 and starting the Phelps Chartered Law Firm, he would begin a long career as an attorney, primarily in favor of civil rights for Black Americans, taking on cases that other white attorneys would not, fiery and unyielding in the courtroom as he was in his spiritual life. His most influential case came in 1973, when he represented 10-year-old Evelyn Johnson in a legal battle against the Topeka Board of Education, arguing that officials at the local, state, and federal level were still in violation of the ruling that had come two decades prior. Fred Phelps alleged that regardless of the facade of equality, the schools were anything but equal, and the schools on the east side of the city, where low-income and minority students made up most of the population, received far less funding— and thus did not provide Evelyn with her promised education. The case received national attention, and the pressure led the Topeka Board to immediately implement new practices to fix these problems. Now, this may be as surprising to you as it was to me, as I took one look at them and made my assumptions— Many family members say that he was genuine in his work, in his hatred for racism, which he railed against in his sermons, too. Other family members say he was an opportunist who tried to make a buck off his black clients. But regardless of his intention, by the 1980s, he would be honored by the Greater Kansas City Chapter of Blacks in Government and the Bonner Springs branch of the NAACP. But Fred was prone to hot-headedness, to revenge, to lengthy squabbles in court, to questionable uses of client funds— By 1989, after a series of malpractice accusations, including slandering judges, Fred would be disbarred and agree to stop practicing at both the state and federal level. Without his legal work, he was left without a mission. And, as we know, Fred desperately needed a crusade. And now, with 13 children and 52 grandchildren, he had himself a little army of God.
2: On a whole, the American nation has given itself over to the fag agenda of accepting that vile sin of sodomy.
3: If we are right, then all you guys that are fags and not preaching the word of God are going to hell.
0: In 1991, just two years after he was disbarred, Fred claimed that when he and his grandson were biking through Gage Park, a man came out of the woods and propositioned the child. If you're a listener of ours, you might hear notes of the stranger danger panic that was sweeping through the nation at this very moment in time, often with undertones of salacious gay men kidnapping little boys. Regardless of what really happened, something sparked a vicious rage in Fred that grew after he complained to the Topeka City Council, demanding that public sex laws be enforced and received no meaningful response. Even when Fred told them that the area had been called cruisy by a locally made gay sex tour guide, still they did nothing. And so, Fred jumped to the obvious conclusion that a homosexual shadow group had control of the Topeka government by the balls. So, without worldly help, starting that spring, the Phelps clan, adults and kids alike, began the Great Gage Park Decency Drive, a long-term picketing project in the park several days a week with signs that read, Watch your kids gaze in restrooms. In addition to these protests, almost daily, members created and sent out faxes to local voters, as well as businesses and organizations. These memos were printed with extremely offensive cartoons and ever more creative slurs, but also included slanderous accusations meant to decimate the reputation of whoever Fred was mad at that week. As you might imagine, these faxes had a favorite theme, gay sex and who was having it. Here's a hint, if you cross the WBC, you were having a lot of it. The pickets heated up. They had started to hone their style— Their message, keeping it now short and quippy, God hates fags. And now, they were showing up at funerals of AIDS victims. They gained national notoriety when they picketed the funeral of Matthew Shepard, the openly gay young man who was violently murdered in 1998, a tragedy so horrifying it finally generated conversation around gay issues largely ignored and repressed throughout the AIDS-era silence. But Westboro didn't stop there. They also created a perpetual online memorial for the 20-year-old man, complete with a picture of Matthew burning in hell and screaming that Westboro had been right, and to heed their warnings. As you might imagine, this generated a lot of outrage. But still, the WBC had yet to go completely mainstream. In order to do that, they would have to offend a much more popular sensibility.
2: God no longer keeps America safe. America's doomed getting the pants beat off of us in Iraq, in Afghanistan. God is now America's terrorist. That's who Bush is fighting. That's the terrorist that he best be afraid of. You tweaked his nose, you jackass. It's almost 18 months now and the siege has got people eating their babies and their small children, and each other. You're gonna eat your babies.
0: They were able to generate quite a bit of publicity when they picketed the September 11th Memorial with signs that said, thank God for 9-11. But their infamy was solidified in the mid-2000s when they began picketing funerals of soldiers killed in Afghanistan and Iraq, their signs reading things like, thank God for dead soldiers and pray for more dead troops. They claimed that God was striking down members of the military as vengeance against a nation of homosexuals, and also a nation that tolerated homosexuals, that coded their sin into law. It was Marine Lance Corporal Matthew Snyder's funeral in Westminster, Maryland in 2006 that would ignite a public firestorm. Though the picketers stayed at a distance far enough away that the family could not see them, his father Albert did see their chanting and their signs on the news later that evening. Devastated, he got to work suing the WBC for emotional damages. The next several years of legal seesawing would lead to major questions about free speech and legal battles over the limits of the First Amendment. President George W. Bush would waste no time, however, passing the Respect for America's Fallen Heroes Act, signed in 2006— which added all kinds of restrictions to protests at federal cemeteries. No mention, of course, of the other memorials that they had long protested at for less savory victims. Bush was running on a platform to protect the sanctity of marriage, after all. In the beginning of the trial, the governments of 48 states sent out briefs to the court declaring their support of Albert Snyder, as did 40 members of the U.S. Senate. The court first ruled in favor of Albert Snyder. But after Westboro won their appeal in 2010, the right-wing news media projected outrage about the case in a way that would be uncommon for conservative media or politicians today. Both Bill O'Reilly and Ann Coulter agreed that free speech did not cover the picketing of soldiers' funerals. I'll let them explain.
4: Um, The law of intentional infliction of emotional stress is not some new newfangled, you know, invention of the court. This is a tort that's been around for hundreds of years. We got it from England. It was called the tort of outrage. And the elements of intentional
2: infliction of emotional distress are, under the law, the following. An intent to inflict emotional distress. That's it. What it was described as in, in England was um, a course of conduct or speech that would lead a reasonable man to say that's outrageous. Um, there's no specific conduct or speech that is prohibited or permitted um, because, as a New York court said, the, the capacity for human cruelty is boundless. So it is determined by the trier of fact. They said, in the, in the, in the opinion, while reasonable people can debate the appropriateness of the Westboro yep. protest. Reasonable yep. people can debate that these loons are saying God killed Matthew Snyder because the USA doesn't persecute gays. Right. Reasonable right. people can debate right. that what kind of, <laughs> what kind of judge writes that?
0: Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that because the WBC stayed legally far enough away not to interfere with the funeral or expose their messages directly to the family, quote, The First Amendment and that protection cannot be overcome by a jury finding that the picketing was outrageous. Tucker Carlson and Bill O'Reilly offered to pay the legal fees of Albert Snyder, but it's unclear if they ever did. Ruling did not stop more than 40 states from passing funeral protest laws in direct response to the Westboro Baptist Church. But with the help of the First Amendment, Fred Phelps had won. As he saw it, God continued to war on the side of Little Westboro. Any time the counter-protesters screamed at them, stole their signs, spit on them, threw things at them, assaulted them, Fred said, all the way back in 1996, that this persecution was proof that they were the elect, because being hated meant being holy. The year right before, in retaliation for the Gage Park pickets, two men had indeed set off a pipe bomb at the compound— no one was injured, but there was damage to a car, a fence, and to a small part of Shirley's house. Fred did it up Phelps style with a new campaign called Topeka's Baptist Holocaust, which claimed that Jews and homosexuals had organized the attack, saying, quote, The latest Holocaust is by Topeka Jews against the Westboro Baptist Church. Ten years later, In another impressive display of unbiblical narcissism, Fred linked soldiers killed by IEDs to his very own little congregation.
3: Ten years later, do you think it's a coincidence that American soldiers are getting blown up by IEDs? When you start messing with the servants of the Most High God, God is going to kick your ass. Period.
0: But within a couple years after the trial ended, it was clear that Fred Phelps, his face creased from cruelty, was not long for this earth. By then, more and more of the younger Phelpses were defecting, including Megan and Grace. A group of these defectors had been secretly visiting their dying grandfather and claimed that as his dementia worsened, he softened. They said that toward the end of his life, he actually walked out on his lawn to yell across the street, something he had always done, a reflex, maybe. This time, he was yelling at the Equality House, a rainbow painted nonprofit set up opposite to the church in constant protest. But he wasn't yelling slurs this time. Instead, he was shouting, you are good people, until he was finally forced back inside. It's impossible to know if this picturesque ending is the truth, if Fred Phelps actually had a legitimate change of heart, if he indeed undid whatever happened to him that strange day in that revival tent when he was just 16. But we do know that not long after he started displaying new signs of human compassion, he was excommunicated from his own church banned from the compound and family he built, left to die alone in a hospice center. The WBC even refused to have a funeral for him, saying without a second thought that under no circumstances did they worship the dead. Perhaps they knew how many would come to picket his funeral. and Maybe, deep down, they were worried it would break their hearts. It had turned out that God had not chosen Fred, that Fred had not been a singular messenger of God, but actually an Esau, just like Megan and just like Grace. Those that remain now, including Shirley, this church of alleged Jacobs, has outlived its leader and is still active today, though more than 20 members have left and now look back in horror at the things they believed they were doing in the name of God, of love. But we'll talk more about all of that next week. Though the Westboro Baptist Church seemed to have perfected the tactic, outrage has always been a great trade to traffic in, and outrage in the name of God— well, that's a gold mine. But weirdly, the WBC never solicited outside donations, never tried to get rich off of their hellish fear-mongering. That would have been a grave sin. The same can't be said, though, for many of our most famous evangelical figures of the last century that we covered in our Televangelist episode. Some even worked tirelessly, yet quietly, throughout the 1970s and 80s to fight the IRS, who refused to continue to allow their colleges to be tax-exempt if they refused to comply with racial integration laws. We can see this laid plain in the policies of Bob Jones University, who would ban interracial dating until the year 2000. This attitude long burned into the institution was even too much for fucking Fred Phelps, who always claimed he left Bob Jones for its racist policies, similar to those he would fight in court during his legal career. Battles over whether the laws should be changed to allow gay people to serve in the military had been sparked across the board when in 1993, the Clinton administration passed Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which meant, as a homosexual, you wouldn't get kicked out or harassed unless you came out of the closet. That was real. Outrage, disgust, shock, followed with Brian Fisher of the Conservative American Family Association warning that, quote, If open homosexuals are allowed into the United States military, the Taliban won't need to plant dirty needles to infect our soldiers with HIV. Our own soldiers will take care of that for them. If we connect the dots here, the inescapable conclusion is that gay sex is a form of domestic terrorism. Gay people have long been presented as a grave threat to national security, including during the Cold War, a threat to the military bonds of trust, and most of all, as many people have pointed out, a grave threat to the sovereign American right not to be ogled in the showers because, after all, I don't want gay guys hitting on me. Wait, what do you you mean you're not attracted to me? You don't? You don't think I look good? But it's bigger than all that. It is biblical. The idea that God punishes those who disobey him by making their armies lose battles, by killing their troops, by striking down their nation, as he did many times throughout the Bible. Or, as Jerry Falwell put it, quote, Forces which have attempted to secularize America have removed our nation from its relationship with Christ on which it was founded. I therefore believe that this created an environment which possibly has caused God to lift the veil of protection which has allowed no one to attack America on our soil since 1812." In still more familiar rhetoric, conservative shock jock and the recipient of the 2020 Presidential Medal of Freedom Rush Limbaugh had a regular segment in the 90s called AIDS Update, in which he read the names of gay and bisexual men who had recently died from the disease while playing horns and bells, all introduced by Dion Warwick's song, I'll never love this way again. Rush Limbaugh, the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, would go as far as to say that these disrespectful, militant homosexuals deserved their fate. Falwell went as far as to say that, quote, "AIDS is not just God's punishment for homosexuals, it is God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. In 1980, Bob Jones III would say it might not be a bad idea to reinstate the stoning to death of homosexuals. In 1997, Ellen DeGeneres was personally victimized by Jerry Falwell when he had his own quippy mean girl moment, writing her name in his burn book of sermons as Ellen DeGenerate. The messaging of the Westboro Baptist Church is dangerous, ugly, ridiculous, to be sure. But in essence, these sentiments are not that different from the ones presented by some of the most powerful figures of the fundamentalist and political right. The WBC just took it all to its logical extreme, turned it all up to 11, They said the quiet part out loud. I think that's the real danger of these tiny extremist groups. It's how their ideas and their words move the goalpost farther and farther away, allowing in more and more extreme ideas and speech that don't seem quite so extreme in comparison. And so they became a convenient sleight of hand for those hoping to push a more extreme Christian social agenda, a many-headed monster to measure one's own piety, one's own goodness against, a place to aim performative disgust, a chance to posture as more loving and forgiving, not fueled by vile hatred like them, far more willing to shell out doses of God's loving grace, for a small donation, that is. The Westboro Baptist Church, too, measured themselves against evil homosexuals that were responsible for the end of the world. Much of American cultural division in 2022 also feels like this, don't you think? Except the left and the right are rarely united in outrage anymore. So instead of wrapping this up with the same platitudes yelled at Westboro Daily about God loving everyone, I would like to stick to the WBC style with this very freaky Old Testament deep cut from Leviticus in which an animal sacrifice is described. The ceremony begins with two kid goats placed onto an altar... The men lay their hands on the first goat and kill it as a blood covenant to the Lord. Then they lay their hands on the second one, called the scapegoat, and place inside it all their worldly sins. The scapegoat is then released to run into the surrounding wilderness, taking all their wrongdoing with it, leaving them clean and pure. This was American Hysteria. Next time on the show, we're going to cover more about the Phelps-Roper family through the story of Megan, who left the church for good in 2012. We'll see how users on Words with Friends and Twitter helped de-radicalize her and what happened inside the church that finally made her leave. If you would like more of our show, consider becoming a patron where you get access to our talk show, Hysteria Home Companion, where producer Miranda and I give you all the hottest gossip from the cutting room floor. Previous episodes include The Secrets of the Extreme Haunted House McCaney Manor, The Polyamorous Cult of Ayn Rand, and The Strangest Celebrity Alien Contact Stories. Head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria for that and so much more. You can follow us on social media at Amer Hysteria on Twitter and at American Hysteria Podcast on Instagram. You can get some of our hot merch at AmericanHysteria.com. American Hysteria is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Sound design by Clear Como Studios, with co-research and co-writing by Riley Smith, and co-production and co-editing by Miranda Zickler. And of course, voice acting by Will Rogers. Thanks, as always, for listening. And now here's The Howard Stern Show to play us out.
4: I say, how long have you been aware that God hates fags?
0: Ever since I was able to
3: understand.
4: Your, what mom, your mother said. Your mother taught you this from birth?
0: Yes, my parents taught me what the Bible says.
4: Edward, this has got to be offensive to you, that people would hate so much just because of your sexual proclivity?
2: I wear, I have better shoes and better clothing than they will ever have.
4: Did you take a lot of crap in high school for being